section forty six of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten continued percy bish shelley seventeen ninety two eighteen twenty two make me thy lyre even as the forest is what if my leaves are falling like its own the tumult of thy mighty harmonies will take from both a deep autumnal tone sweet though in sadness be thou spirit fierce my spirit be thou me impetuous one in this fragment from the ode to the west wind we have a suggestion of shelley's own spirit as reflected in all his poetry the very spirit of nature which appeals to us in the wind and the cloud the sunset and the moonrise seems to have possessed him at times and made him a chosen instrument of melody at such times he is a true poet and his work is unrivalled at other times unfortunately shelley joins with byron in voicing a vain rebellion against society his poetry like his life divides itself into two distinct moods in one he is the violent reformer seeking to overthrow our present institutions and to hurry the millennium out of its slow walk into a gallop out of this mood come most of his longer poems like queen mab revolt of islam hellas and the witch of atlas which are somewhat violent diatribes against government priests marriage religion even god as men supposed him to be in a different mood which finds expression alastor adonais and his wonderful lyrics shelley is like a wanderer following a vague beautiful vision forever sad and forever unsatisfied in the latter mood he appeals profoundly to all men who have known what it is to follow after an unattainable ideal shelley's life there are three classes of men who see visions and all three are represented in our literature the first is the mere dreamer like blake who stumbles through a world of reality without noticing it and is happy in his visions the second is the seer the prophet like langland or wycliffe who sees a vision and quietly goes to work in ways that men understand to make the present world a little more like the ideal one which he sees in his vision the third who appears in many forms as visionary enthusiast radical anarchist revolutionary call him what you will sees a vision and straightway begins to tear down all human institutions which have been built up by the slow toil of centuries simply because they seem to stand in the way of his dream to the latter class belongs shelley a man perpetually at war with the present world a martyr and exile simply because of his inability to sympathize with men and society as they are and because of his own mistaken judgment as to the value and purpose of a vision shelley was born in field place near horsham sussex in seventeen ninety two on both his father's and his mother's side he was descended from noble old families famous in the political and literary history of england from childhood he lived like blake in a world of fancy so real that certain imaginary dragons and headless creatures of the neighboring wood kept him and his sisters in a state of fearful expectancy 
he learned rapidly absorbed the classics as if by intuition and dissatisfied with ordinary processes of learning seems to have sought like faustus the acquaintance of spirits as shown in his hymn to intellectual beauty while yet a boy i sought for ghosts and sped through many a listening chamber cave and ruin and starlight wood with fearful steps pursuing hopes of high talk with the departed dead shelley's first public school kept by a hard-headed scotch master with its floggings and its general brutality seemed to him like a combination of hell and prison and his active rebellion against existing institutions was well under way when at twelve years of age he entered the famous preparatory school at eton he was a delicate nervous marvellously sensitive boy of great physical beauty and like cowper he suffered torments at the hands of his rough schoolfellows unlike cowper he was positive resentful and brave to the point of rashness soul and body rose up against tyranny and he promptly organized a rebellion against the brutal fagging system mad shelley the boys called him and they chivied him like dogs around a little coon that fights and cries defiance to the end one finds what he seeks in this world and it is not strange that shelley after his eton experiences found causes for rebellion in all existing forms of human society and that he left school to war among mankind as he says of himself in the revolt of islam his university days are but a repetition of his earlier experiences while a student at oxford he read some scraps of hume's philosophy and immediately published a pamphlet called the necessity of atheism it was a crude foolish piece of work and shelley distributed it by post to every one to whom it might give offence naturally this brought on a conflict with the authorities but shelley would not listen to reason or make any explanation and was expelled from the university in eighteen eleven shelley's marriage was even more unfortunate while living in london on a generous sister's pocket money a certain young schoolgirl harriet westbrook was attracted by shelley's crude revolutionary doctrines she promptly left school as her own personal part in the general rebellion and refused to return or even to listen to her parents upon the subject having been taught by shelley she threw herself upon his protection and this unbalanced couple were presently married as they said in deference to anarch custom the two infants had already proclaimed a rebellion against the institution of marriage for which they proposed to substitute the doctrine of elective affinity for two years they wandered about england ireland and wales living on a small allowance from shelley's father who had disinherited his son because of his ill-considered marriage the pair soon separated and two years later shelley having formed a strong friendship with one godwin a leader of young enthusiasts and a preacher of anarchy presently showed his belief in godwin's theories by eloping with his daughter mary it is a sad story and the details were perhaps better forgotten we should remember that in shelley we are dealing with a tragic blend of high-mindedness and light-headedness 
byron wrote of him the most gentle the most amiable and the least worldly-minded person i ever met led by the general hostility against him and partly by his own delicate health shelley went to italy in eighteen eighteen and never returned to england after wandering over italy he finally settled in pisa beloved of so many english poets beautiful sleepy pisa where one looks out of his window on the main street at the busiest hour of the day and the only living thing in sight is a donkey dozing lazily with his head in the shade and his body in the sunshine here his best poetry was written and here he found comfort in the friendship of byron hunt and trelawney who are forever associated with shelley's italian life he still remained hostile to english social institutions but life is a good teacher and that shelley dimly recognized the error of his rebellion is shown in the increasing sadness of his later poems o world o life o time on whose last steps i climb trembling at that where i had stood before when will return the glory of your prime no more oh never more out of the day and night a joy has taken flight fresh spring and summer and winter hoar move my faint heart with grief but with delight no more oh never more in eighteen twenty two when only thirty years of age shelley was drowned while sailing in a small boat off the italian coast his body was washed ashore several days later and was cremated near viareggio by his friends byron hunt and trelawney his ashes might with all reverence have been given to the winds that he loved and that were a symbol of his restless spirit instead they found a resting-place near the grave of keats in the english cemetery at rome one rarely visits the spot now without finding english and american visitors standing in silence before the significant inscription cor cordium works of shelley as a lyric poet shelley is one of the supreme geniuses of our literature and the reader will do well to begin with the poems which show him at his very best the cloud to a skylark ode to the west wind to-night poems like these must surely set the reader to searching among shelley's miscellaneous works to find for himself the things worthy to be remembered alastor in reading shelley's longer poems one must remember that there are in this poet two distinct men one the wanderer seeking ideal beauty and forever unsatisfied the other the unbalanced reformer seeking the overthrow of present institutions and the establishment of universal happiness alastor or the spirit of solitude eighteen sixteen is by far the best expression of shelley's greater mood here we see him wandering restlessly through the vast silences of nature in search of a loved dream maiden who shall satisfy his love of beauty here shelley is the poet of the moonrise and of the tender exquisite fancies that can never be expressed 
the charm of the poem lies in its succession of dreamlike pictures but it gives absolutely no impressions of reality it was written when shelley after his long struggle had begun to realize that the world was too strong for him alastor is therefore the poet's confession not simply of failure but of undying hope in some better thing that is to come prometheus prometheus unbound eighteen 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 twenty a lyrical drama is the best work of shelley's revolutionary enthusiasm and the most characteristic of all his poems shelley's philosophy if one may dignify a hopeless dream by such a name was a curious aftergrowth of the french revolution namely that it is only the existing tyranny of state church and society which keeps man from growth into perfect happiness naturally shelley forgot like many other enthusiasts that church and state and social laws were not imposed upon man from without but were created by himself to minister to his necessities in shelley's poem the hero prometheus represents mankind itself a just and noble humanity chained and tortured by jove who is here the personification of human institutions note shelley undoubtedly took his idea from a lost drama of aeschylus a sequel to prometheus bound in which the great friend of mankind was unchained from a precipice where he had been placed by the tyrant zeus End of note in due time demogorgon which is shelley's name for necessity overthrows the tyrant jove and releases prometheus mankind who is presently united to asia the spirit of love and goodness in nature while the earth and the moon join in a wedding song and everything gives promise that they shall live together happy ever afterwards shelley here looks forward not back to the golden age and is the prophet of science and evolution if we compare his titan with similar characters in faust and cain we shall find this interesting difference that while goethe's titan is cultured and self-reliant and byron's stoic and hopeless shelley's hero is patient under torture seeking help and hope beyond his suffering and he marries love that the earth may be peopled with superior beings who shall substitute brotherly love for the present laws and conventions of society such is his philosophy but the beginner will read this poem not chiefly for its thought but for its youthful enthusiasm for its marvelous imagery and especially for its ethereal music perhaps we should add here that prometheus is and probably always will be a poem for the chosen few who can appreciate its peculiar spirit-like beauty in its purely pagan conception of the world it suggests by contrast milton's christian philosophy in paradise regained shelley's revolutionary works queen mab eighteen thirteen the revolt of islam eighteen eighteen hellas eighteen twenty one and the witch of atlas eighteen twenty are to be judged in much the same way as is prometheus unbound 
they are largely invectives against religion marriage kingcraft and priestcraft most impractical when considered as schemes for reform but abounding in passages of exquisite beauty for which alone they are worth reading in the drama called the cenci eighteen nineteen which is founded upon a morbid italian story shelley for the first and only time descends to reality the heroine beatrice driven to desperation by the monstrous wickedness of her father kills him and suffers the death penalty in consequence she is the only one of shelley's characters who seems to us entirely human adonais far different in character is epipsychidion eighteen twenty one a rhapsody celebrating platonic love the most impalpable and so one of the most characteristic of shelley's works it was inspired by a beautiful italian girl emilia viviani who was put into a cloister against her will and in whom shelley imagined he found his long-sought ideal of womanhood with this should be read adonais eighteen twenty one the best known of all shelley's longer poems adonais is a wonderful threnody or a song of grief over the death of the poet keats even in his grief shelley still preserves a sense of unreality and calls in many shadowy allegorical figures sad spring weeping hours glooms splendors destinies all uniting in bewailing the loss of a loved one the whole poem is a succession of dream pictures exquisitely beautiful such as only shelley could imagine and it holds its place with milton's lycidas and tennyson's in memoriam as one of the three greatest elegies in our language shelley and wordsworth in his interpretation of nature shelley suggests wordsworth both by resemblance and by contrast to both poets all natural objects are symbols of truth both regard nature as permeated by the great spiritual life which animates all things but while wordsworth finds a spirit of thought and so of communion between nature and the soul of man shelley finds a spirit of love which exists chiefly for its own delight and so the cloud the skylark and the west wind three of the most beautiful poems in our language have no definite message for humanity in his hymn to intellectual beauty shelley is most like wordsworth but in his sensitive plant with its fine symbolism and imagery he is like nobody in the world but himself comparison is sometimes an excellent thing and if we compare shelley's exquisite lament beginning o world o life o time with wordsworth's intimations of immortality we shall perhaps understand both poets better both poems recall many happy memories of youth both express a very real mood of a moment but while the beauty of one merely saddens and disheartens us the beauty of the other inspires us with something of the poet's own faith and hopefulness in a word wordsworth found and shelley lost himself in nature
End of section 46.